Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the internet and around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator, it is the Michael Duke Show. Good Monday morning to you. How are you guys doing this morning? Are you ready to rock and roll? Are you ready to kick things off and get, I mean, we had a brief reprieve, right? I mean, this weekend was just, I mean, the wind on, on Saturday was just wow. I mean, outrageous, uh, stripped, stripped the leaves off one half of, we got a big tree outside in my yard, stripped the leaves off one half of the, uh, (laughs) off the tree. And, uh, but it was beautiful. It was nice. It was sunshiny seeing all the, the, the light, you know, playing in through the windows and being outside and everything else. And then uh, a little bit cloudy yesterday. And of course, this morning, the, uh, <clears throat> and of course, this morning, the rain is back yet again. So, I mean, at least it was nice for the weekend. I mean, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. It was nice for the weekend, but, uh, but here we are back into it again, a little rain, a little wet, and, uh, uh, just another, another week of good stuff here, uh, before we, uh, before we kick off into the, General election, which is now only, what, six weeks away as of tomorrow? Six weeks away from the general election. Oh, man. It's, it's, it, just, it, just, it just comes. It's just like right there, getting ready to go. Um, but we are dedicated to getting you all the information that we can um, for different candidates uh, and uh, the various officers and everything else. And today is no different. Today on the program, we're going to be joined uh, in just a few moments by Andrew Gray, who is running for state house in District Twenty, which is the which is the UMed district in Anchorage, which is the district that surrounds the uh, um, the University of Alaska Anchorage and the whole Medical Providence and that whole area down there. On the eastern side of Anchorage, we'll be talking with him about uh, his issues and what he would like to see in the state government to give you as much information for those of you who happen to be in that area and would like to vote. And then in hour two, we're going to be joined by Les Guerra, who is running for uh, governor, along with his running mate, Jessica Cook, and we're going to talk with him about the issues that he uh, thinks are important when it comes to elections. And so a little bit of a different viewpoint today from our two guests, ones that were from you know our normal run of, uh, of guests that we have here on the program. But we like that. We like to get a diverse viewpoint. We may not agree with it, but I think, again, my commentary has always been that the answer to speech you don't agree with is more speech. 
And so we'll see what these two candidates have to say. Coming up later this week, of course, we've got Brad Keithley and Chris Story coming up tomorrow. Uh, Arthur Surkoff is coming up on Wednesday with an un- I've got an unannounced candidate uh, in the second hour on Wednesday. I'm waiting on confirmation on that, but it will be full. And then on Thursday, <clears throat> we will have Kathy Hensley and Louis Flora. Uh, Kathy Hensley, of course, running for state house uh, in Anchorage, and Louis Flora, uh, Louis Flora running for state house down on the peninsula. So, again, a full week coming up next week. We've got uh, Sharon Jackson's going to be joining us, Jessica Wright, Stephen Wright, and more candidates as I get my calendar all squared away. It's been a busy, been a busy couple of weeks, but it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be even better as we go through. So it's going to be a a, a, a busy, busy week. And, and it's probably going to be busy every uh, – it's probably going to be busy every week up until Election Day right now um, as we uh, continue to go through. So I want to uh, say good morning and thank you for coming in and joining us. We're going to hit a few headlines here uh, from things that took place over the weekend. Of course, the biggest thing – that happened over the weekend is the uh, is the storm. I mean, as I mentioned here in the Wasilla area, we had a um, uh, we had a, a tremendous amount of wind. I mean, it was uh, very very windy, but that was just a pittance in compared to what was happening out on the western coast of Alaska, where. The uh, storm had created a surge that affected a whole bunch of places, <clears throat> uh, least, uh, not least of which was, of course, Nome, Nuatok, Golovin, Scammon Bay, Hooper Bay. You probably all were looking at the videos over the weekend um, of, the, uh, of the floodwaters just coming right in. Water in Hooper Bay all the way up into the streets, onto the sides of homes. Uh, The wind and the storm didn't help in Nome either, where the the, uh, bar and grill down there, one of the famous bar and grills on the seaside there, burned right to the ground. A small fire got started, and then the wind uh, kicked in, and the next thing you know, the whole thing had burned right to the ground. Um, Hooper Bay also had its fuel tanks. They were tipped over. Um, and it was just, just, just a massive, massive amount of it's, you watch what happens with mother nature and you're just like shocked as to what's going on. Um, when you watch these videos, it is uh, pretty intense to watch the sea come up and just try and swallow many of these communities, um, uh, throughout the, uh, throughout the weekend. So the governor <clears throat> has issued a state of declar a state of disaster and a declaration, they had a press conference yesterday. KTU reports that uh, the ideas there included the sharing by state officials of plans for allocating resources to Western Alaska communities for the coming days. Um, according to Mike uh, Dunleavy, at least five communities have been impacted greatly by a combination of high water, flooding, erosion, electrical issues, and issues with the airport. Again, those five areas that uh, were included but not limited to Hooper Bay, Scammon Bay, Golovin, Nuatok, Nome, have seen that tremendous destruction over the weekend. The worst part is, is that there's only a few weeks until freeze-up in many of these uh, p- 
parts of Alaska. And so there's an extra urgency behind getting repairs and recovery done as quickly as possible. In some places, the relief effort hasn't even started because the tail end of the storm is expected to continue to linger for a little longer. There's still high water levels in some areas that are being affected. State emergency management teams and staff from places like the Red Cross have being, uh, are being deployed today and uh, to get a real assessment, according to the uh, commissioner of the Department of Homeland Security and Emergency, uh, emergency Management, in terms of what's needed for food, water, shelter for the communities, they're going out there today to try and analyze all that right now. On top of that, the Department of Military and Vet Affairs Commissioner Major General Torrance Sachs said Sunday that all Guardsmen and State Defense Forces uh, in the entire western region are being activated. So they're moving more air assets into the area. There'll be three hel- helicopters in Nome, one in Bethel. they got to have boots on the ground. And uh, one of the main priorities beyond the safety of the community is assessing and repairing the damages. The hope is that the federal government will step in to help, but for now, Alaskans are trying to work together to get back on their feet after this devastating, this was all, of course, from Typhoon Murbach. Uh, This was the tail end of the typhoon. I can't imagine what it would have been like if we had caught the full brunt of it, but uh, this is the, uh, this is just the tail end of that. And it is, uh, it's quite a, Quite a, an amazing thing to see when Mother Nature just strikes uh, strikes back at you when you uh, least expect it. <clears throat> so that was the big news of the weekend. There's also a roundup in the ADN uh, from Sean McGuire and Iris Samuels taking a look at the statewide candidates and campaign money and everything else. If there was ever a doubt that you needed to, uh, if you were supporting a candidate other than Mary Peltola for U.S. Congress that you needed to get out there and make it happen, well, this should eliminate all doubt. New campaign, uh, new campaign disclosure documents released on Thursday show a big post-election fundraising windfall for Mary Peltola, who raised $1.4 million between August 16th and Labor Day. Her campaign said that she raked in a million dollars during the first 48 hours after her special congressional election victory. She's since spent about 470000 largely on TV and radio ads, which left her on uh, with just $1.1 million with just $1.1 million on hand in early September. Over the same election period, Nick Baggage only raised $24,000. His campaign brought in 118000 from the end of July to early September, but spent 221000 meaning he's dipping into his own loan that he gave to his campaign of $650,000. And Sarah Palin's, she reported receiving 251000 between the end of July and Labor Day, but burned through all of it, uh, spending 250000 in the same period alone. So it's going to be a you know, it's going to be about money, folks. I hate to tell you that, and I hate to be that guy, but that's what it's about. When Peltola has raised $1.4 million, Nick Begich has only raised 24000 and Sarah Palin just under or just around 250000 but they've spent it all. That, uh, that says a lot. That says a lot what's going on. Now, there were some debates uh, in Southeast uh, over the last week. 
Um, both Palin and Begich uh, uh, appeared at the debates together. Begich in person, Palin called in remotely. Peltola did not participate, saying that she was on the floor of the House to attend to votes. Um, during the forum, <clears throat> there was some give and take, but what I found most interesting was the semi-snarky comment from the organizers of the um, uh, of this debate who said at the very end, event organizers said that Libertarian House candidate Chris By was not invited, but he, he could have come on stage if he'd turned up in Ketchikan. I mean, I'm not officially invited to the event, but if I just showed up, I, they would have let me up. They would have let you up on stage. Um, uh, really? I mean, really? That's what you're getting. That was how you were going to play it. Well, he could have if he'd showed up. I mean, he if he'd flown all the way to catch a can, we would have let him on stage. I mean, there would have been, you know, he would have had no idea that that's what was going to happen. But that we would have let him on stage. It's fine. <laughs> I was just like, what? <laughs> Meanwhile, in the Senate race, um, Lisa Murkowski and Kelly Shibaka uh, sparred on Tuesday morning um, back and forth about the marine highway system. Um, this was a whole different flavor of Murkowski. She was very combative, which has been a notable change from the two weeks earlier when she basically ignored any attacks by Shibaka. And uh, now she said uh, her campaign said that that change was deliberate and that she would be challenging misinformation and lies from Shabaka on the infrastructure bill and the benefits it would bring Alaska. Now, Pat Chesbro is there as well, and uh, she ignored the fighting going on around her and said it was surprising how pointed it got between the two Republicans. Now, remember, this is what we've been talking about on this program for a while, the circling the wagons and shooting inward. Uh, she goes, I don't think it's ever good to be like that. I think that people want to hear your positions, not your attacks. I couldn't agree more at that point. I couldn't agree more. And then you had Bill Walker and Les Guerra participating in a conference. Uh, neither Charlie Pierce nor Mike Dunleavy appeared in the Southeast Conference, and um, which I, I just, just don't know what to say at this point. <clears throat> you guys just not gonna you just not gonna participate at all? It's a little it's a little troubling, to say the least. All right, um, that's a few headlines from around the state. We got uh, Andrew Gray coming up here in just a moment. We're gonna talk with him about his run for House District 20, and we'll be back with more in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. We'll return right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right, good morning, my friends. How are you doing this morning? Are you guys ready to rock and roll? Uh, we're about to kick things off with our guest, Andrew Gray, who I see is now joining us in the green room. I can see him. Uh, you can't see him, but I'm special that way. I can see him this morning. Um, we're getting ready to kick things off with him here in just a hot second. Uh, in fact, we probably should bring him on just to make sure that his audio is all working properly and everything. So we'll bring him in here right now. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Michael. Great. How are you? 
I'm doing good. Let me uh, turn you down because you are loud and proud this morning here a little bit. Okay. Uh, hey, look at that. All right. You're a little little bit better now. Okay. Uh, you all ready to do this thing? I'm as ready as I'll ever be. Good. You've girded your loins and are ready to, to jump in and uh, and do I appreciate you coming on board. Uh, I love having- oh, my pleasure. I love having a little bit of a diversity of viewpoints here. So we're going to talk about some stuff and uh, be right back to it. So hold the line here. I'll drop you back. I'll drop you back in the green room and we can uh, be ready to uh, go here in uh, just about three or four minutes. Uh, All right. So Andrew Gray is on board here. We're getting ready to uh, do that. Let me see here. Um, Let me catch some of the comments in the uh, chat room this morning. Um, uh, let's see. Um, uh, scrolling through a lot of good mornings, a lot of good mornings. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, yeah. Susie says Palin is spending most of her money down south. I guess. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not seeing a whole lot of it. Um, what else is going on? Um, seeing Murkowski signs in the yards next to Peltola and other Democrats sense tells you a lot about Lisa. I've been saying for years that whoever people are grouping their signs with is an interesting indication of where their political viewpoints might be, regardless of who they are. Republicans, Democrats, uh, Libertarians. It's interesting to watch how the groupings of signs It's almost, I don't know, it's not like it's a scientific, but it's like scratching a Petri dish and watching what grows in the various areas. It's interesting to watch, that's for sure. Um <clears throat> Yeah, Andrew uh, Andrew does host the East Anchorage Book Club podcast. I did look at a couple of those podcasts. Uh, uh, some interesting discussions, for sure. Um, and uh, that's always what it's about, trying to bring more conversation to the table. Uh, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, uh, hey, I saw my dad this morning. Hey, Dad. My dad's uh, listening here in the program this morning. Uh, it's always good when your parents are watching over your shoulder just to make sure you're doing it right. No, they're not doing that. They're just they're hanging out with us this morning. Oh, yes. Good morning. It looks like the drought is over. <laughs> My two minutes of sunshine this weekend that I got up this morning. Even the dog looked up at me. I opened the door this morning and and I and, I, and the back door and it's just just raining. And the dog looked up at me like, seriously, you want me to go out in this? Yes, please go. Be free. <laughs> no. Oh man, I'm I'm ready. All right. <clears throat> we are ready to go. Um uh Ruffridge is grouped with Murkowski in Soldatna. Like I said, it's always interesting to see who is grouped where. It you know, it uh it I guess it never surprises me when it's all said and done. All right, uh, we are about um, about 60 seconds or so from rejoining the radio, so do me a favor. Uh, If you haven't yet, would you share the show, regardless of where you are at, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch, share the show, and then make sure that you like and follow the show page, you hit subscribe, you ring the bell, you follow, do whatever the thing is on whatever platform you're watching on, and that way we'll get more Alaskans involved in the conversation. Good morning, Moret, joining us from YouTube. Thank you for coming on board this morning. We appreciate that. Um, All right, bringing it up. Andrew Gray is joining us here uh, in just a a hot second. Let's get this this put together, and we will uh, bring all these things uh, on right now. 
Um, I got to, I've got all the secret. Bing. That's just a reminder that we got to get back to the radio. So let's do it. Here we go. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Share the show. Like this video. Do all the things. Here we go. Okay. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for uh, jumping in with us this morning, being members of the 6 o'clock club. I know it's not easy, but uh, it's oh so worth it, right? It's early, but uh, we love being here, getting a chance to talk about things that impact the state of Alaska. That's what it's all about. Joining us this morning for some of our discussions on this, uh, our candidate for State House in District 20, uh, Andrew Gray, who first arrived back in uh, uh, Anchorage back in 1998 and uh, has since uh, made a life for himself here in the uh, South Central area. So let's get a chance to bring him on and say good morning. Good good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning. How are things, how are things going this morning? Pretty good. How are you, Michael? You know, it's another day in paradise. Just another day in paradise. I was just complaining about the rain, but at least it's not snowing, right? That's the important That's part. True, That's true, but yeah. I'm looking for it. You're looking for the snow? Man, you're a... Well, six. I mean, it, it, it just feels inevitable. I was just going to say, you're looking a... Looking up the mountain, seeing, you know, when, when are we going to have that termination dust coming down? I know. I thought for a second there, I was going to say, you're a sick, sick individual just looking for that snow in the middle. Now, it's you a, know, my son, I have a nine-year-old son, and he is looking for it. He, I mean, he is a winter sports kid oh, man. and he is ready for the snow. I got to tell you, kids, you got to love them for that, for that, <laughs> that optimism. That's for sure. Andrew, first, uh, foremost, uh, tell us a little bit here about yourself. I just mentioned you came to Alaska in 98. So you've been here about 20 years, but give us a, you know, give us a little bit well, of background. I got to correct the record there, Michael. I'll start off with correcting that. So I did, I, um, I grew up in Texas, a small town, uh, actually a very conservative Republican household. Uh, graduated from University of Texas at Austin, and then I drove to Alaska, drove to Anchorage, no plan, no job, didn't know anybody, made a lot of good friends then, but I couldn't really make things work out. Like a lot of young people um, who want to stay in Anchorage, finding that career path is a challenge, finding that good first job. Right. So I actually had to leave the state, and I actually was out of the state looking for a way back for a long time. I, I went to physician assistant school back in Texas uh, in the late 2000s and uh, graduated from physician assistant school at Baylor College of Medicine in 2012. I applied for a job on the slope. They told me, man, you gotta have some experience. You can't be up here, um, you know, work it all by yourself in the middle of nowhere um, and, and not know exactly what you're doing. Right. So I ended up working at some emergency rooms in California for uh, about uh, three and a half, four years before I took my dream job with the Alaska VA. So I came up to work for the Alaska VA in 2017, okay. very beginning of 2017. So you got so, bit by the bug 20 years ago and you finally made it back, right? Yeah, I was, I, I mean, I, I, I loved Alaska and you know, and I'll tell you the people that helped me out when I got here in 98, that that's the Alaska spirit. I mean, you know, I really was one of those people who showed up in Alaska with no plan. And um, the people I met my first couple of days here were like, Hey, we got to help this guy out. And uh, they did. And um, that really is what sold Alaska on me 
was just the people, you know, that sort of camaraderie, like we're all in this together. Um, this guy wants to be here. Let's help him out. And um, right. that's what keeps me here. That's why I'm here. Good. Um, so what made you make the jump from, um, you know, uh, positions assistance working in the medical uh, community, doing all that stuff? What exactly made you make the jump from there to politics? I mean, was there I, I always ask people, was there an aha moment or when exactly did you lose your mind kind of thing, you know? Right. Well, so that's a good question. And it's a good it's a question I ask myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I um, I uh, I was on the Campbell Park Community Council. Um, that's the area of Anchorage in which I live. I um, joined a few years ago and was, uh, you know, the treasurer and then the secretary. And I um, got really involved in local Anchorage politics when um, Dave Bronson had been elected, but hadn't been sworn in. There was this, you know, middle period uh, where he was the mayor elect. And he said that his priority was to build um, a homeless shelter in Campbell Park. And um, right. that got me very involved in local politics. I wanted community input. I wanted um, to. Uh, I wanted us in our neighborhood to be informed about what was happening. And I didn't feel like that was happening. So I started attending assembly meetings and testifying at assembly meetings. And um, as you mentioned in the intro, I, I, I started a podcast that started because um, a group of neighbors we were trying to have an influence on what was happening in our neighborhood. And we kept saying, we don't know what we're doing. So um, I started a group uh, where we were inviting on uh, Alaskan leaders to teach us how to have a bigger voice in local politics. And as time went on, I had more and more leaders come on, talk to more and more people. Um, I, I just, uh, you know what, an opportunity presented itself. Redistricting happened. I ended up in an open house district seat. Um, there was, uh, I, I had talks with my family and just felt that I had accidentally trained myself for this moment and that I was ready to step up. Let's talk a little bit here about uh, some of the major issues that are facing us. Now, you've got some issues up on your uh, on your website, which is at uh, andrewgrayak.com. That's gray with an A, andrewgrayak.com. And you've got some issues up here, and I want to talk a little bit about those issues. But let me mm -hmm. first let me first preface that with some of the issues that we talk about on this show quite frequently. Um, one of the things that I noticed that uh, is is really not on your uh, issues page at all is a discussion on the permanent fund dividend, and I know that mm -hmm. that's been a hot button issue for since 2016, right? It's been the mm -hmm. the badminton, the wiffle ball that they're batting back and forth across the aisle uh, and across the chambers every year. Uh, but you don't have any position on this on your website. So what is your position on the PFD? Maybe I just didn't see it, but I, I don't see no, it here. No, so you know what, uh, Michael, I'm going to be honest with you. That has, I have really learned a lot and grown a lot from knocking on doors and talking to my constituents. I'll also say I listened to your uh, show with um, Holland last week with Senator Holland, mm -hmm. and there's definitely some things that we can agree on here. So um, I I agree that um, you know cutting the permanent fund dividend is a regressive tax that the population does not sign up for. Right. Um, I believe that it 
adversely, disproportionately affects poorer people. You know, there are, and, and, and the bottom line is, is that Alaska, I, I toured the Alaska Food Bank last week. And the Alaska Food Bank provides regular meal service to over 100,000 Alaskans throughout the state. There are, we have poverty in this state. And when you are living below the poverty line and you're getting a, uh, a check for $3,000, it has an enormous impact on what you're able to do for, you know, for your family, for, for you know, providing for yourself. And um, there is a difference between someone who's making, you know, 35,000 a year and someone who's making 150,000 a year. That, and so I think where, where I probably agree with some of your listeners is that um, cutting that down, you know, significantly is um, not ideal. It's not fair right. to those who are living below the poverty line. What I would say, though, is I think that those who have to whom a lot has been given, um, I don't think that that uh, dividend as, 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 is as important. And I'll actually say I've talked to some Republican friends who have told me that um, they don't need that check. They right. don't expect that check. Right. So, so are, are you advocating for like a means testing for the dividend? Is that? Well, you know, so I thought a lot about this and I've talked to a lot of constituents about it and I've learned a lot. What, what I thought at the beginning of my campaign and where I am now. I would say at the beginning of my campaign, I would have said something along those lines. But here's the thing, and you talked about it um, with, in, your, in your interview with Senator Holland, that if you gave out $15,000 to a family and then um, a bill for a tax bill came a week later for $14,000, that people would come at you with pitchforks, I think was right. the image the, that you painted. Yeah, the pitchforks and torches would begin immediately at that point. Right, well, you know, I've thought a lot about it. And again, um, I'm probably going to get myself in trouble here, Michael, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I think having a, um, a very progressive, um, income tax where people who made more than, I don't know, 200,000 a year, 175,000, I don't know what the, the actual number would need to be. That's something I'd be open for debate, but having a, an income tax for those people that basically, uh, equaled their PFD. Right. would be something that I don't think, I think there are conservatives in our state who would not, um, who would, well, actually, you know what? I've had this conversation with conservatives and, and what's interesting is that my Republican friend who said the PFD did not matter to her, she said that if it was taken from her as an income tax, that would bother her. And I asked her why. Because she's, she's saying like, I don't really care. I don't really need this extra $3,000. But at the same time, she kind of balked at the idea of it being, you know, taken away from her as an income tax. Right. And I asked her, I said, but that's just semantics. I mean, what's the difference if, um, you know, it's sent to you as a PFD and then taken back as an income tax versus not giving it to you at all? And, you know, she couldn't really give me a good reason. She just said it didn't feel right. Right, right. So... Well, and this is here's part of my problem, Andrew, is that, you know, when you look at it this way, you're like, OK, the people who are having their PFD taken, it's a regressive tax on them. It's a regressive tax overall, but it really affects disproportionately the lowest 50 percent of income earners. And so the suggestion that what we need is a progressive income tax to then hit the highest income earners seems like the flip side of that coin. You know, we've talked on this program and Brad Keithley has advocated 
in this program, what we really need is a flat tax so that everybody pays an equal portion if that's if that's what we're going to, if that's what we're going to the tax. My question is this. Are we spending too much in this state? I mean, again, I you 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 mentioned that when yeah, I know I listened to you and Senator Holland, it, yeah. and there's there's just going to be some philosophical differences between sure. us. But you know, I do, I am um, a proponent of John F. Kennedy's. You know, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And I think that in Alaska, for the past forty years or so, our state government has been, or, or longer than forty years, our state government has been paid for with by oil. Sure. And um, I think that many people are accustomed to having their state government paid for by oil without any input from them. And I think that there is a um, shirking of responsibility in a way. I think that people expect to receive from the government. And not only do they not need to contribute to the government, but they can criticize and criticize and criticize that government. And, um, you know, maybe I'm a, uh, a, since I am very new to politics and maybe I'm a little Pollyannish about it, but I feel like, <laughs> you know, if you are going to sit and criticize and criticize and criticize, run for office, right. do something, you right. know, do something to make a real, a real influence and, and, and take a stand and get involved in your community. But I just I think there are just too many people who for too long have expected the state government to run without them. And now that we're at a place where, you know, you and Senator Holland talked about it, where it's feast or famine. Price of oil is up. We've got plenty of money on hand. Let's spend, you know, two years later, let's cut, 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 cut. I feel like having a stable fiscal policy moving forward is the way to go. I am a uh, Senator Willikowski. Democrat, I'd say. I do not think that we um, get enough back from the oil companies who are profiting off of our resources. They are taking our resources and selling them for a profit. And I don't believe that we are getting our fair share. I am a supporter of Sarah Palin, ASIS. You know, uh, when she was governor, the uh, 15% or so tax that we put on the oil companies that resulted in the $17 billion um, surplus. Um, and then um, Governor Parnell took that away. I, um, I, I, I know that we're getting into sort of a, a, a difficult period in our state with BP leaving and, and you know, uh, feeling like we have to double down to make our state appealing. But the bottom line is either we have the resources and the oil companies want it or we don't. And we do have them. And I think we should be getting our fair share and we should be using that fair share to um, fund our government and fund our PFD. Andrew Gray is our guest, uh, House candidate for District 20. You can find him on the web at andrewgrayak.com. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue with him and uh, ask some more questions about some of the issues of policy and budgets and some other stuff. And we'll return with more in just a moment with Andrew Gray, The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based... Free Thinking Radio. What is that? Common sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Like Michael Duke Show.
All right, we're back in the break right now. Roger, excuse me, uh, Andrew Gray is our guest. Uh, I was thinking about Roger Holland because he's mentioned Roger Holland a couple times. Uh, that was an interesting interview, and uh, and I'm glad you got a chance to watch it, a little chance to see what it was all about. That's been my argument for a long time, uh, Andrew, is that you know if we received our mineral rights, and that's the thing with the PFD, and I think a lot of people don't understand what the PFD is. The PFD, in fact, Jay Hammond said it was the ultimate expression of capitalism because it because people argue, well, this is a socialistic state. We've got a socialistic constitution. Yeah. And yeah, we had no control in that. That was under the statehood compact. The the federal government required the state to retain all the mineral rights and everything else. But Hammond said that's the ultimate expression of capitalism because it's basically paying people for the loss of their mineral rights. So that is the people's money. This is after the state government has already taken 75% of the royalties and all of the corporate taxes, the excise, the, the severance, the the you know all the other fees and funds that all goes straight into the state coffers and then they take 25% they deposit it into the permanent fund and we take a small slice of the earnings of that money every year and i, I think a lot of people don't understand that 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 is not just a nice gift it's not i mean your republican friend it's not just free money that is their that is their severance by right as the owners of the resource and so i think it's a i think it's a hard thing for some people to wrap their brain around Right. No, I, I, I hear where you're coming from that. Um, P.S. Um, I should have done better research, Michael. I, the reason why I keep talking about Roger Holland is because that's the interview I listened to. So um, right. that's what I keep coming back. Well, to that's him. fine. That's one. You know, I mean, it was a good interview. So I'm, I'm glad you got a chance to uh, to to get in on it and, and do that. Um, you know, this is a I mean, I got to applaud you because, again, coming on to what is ostensibly a conservative show, um, I mean, I'm a libertarian, so I mean, I'm I, I everybody hates you, you know, at one point when you're a libertarian. But, uh, you know, I, I think coming out here and uh, and voicing your views, I think, is important. Uh, even people who disagree with you might come away with something um, and you and I might disagree on some stuff. But I think we can find I think we could find the common ground on some of these things. Um, you, you mentioned uh, the size and scope of government. And I kind of want to get back into this when we get back on the radio. But I mean, if you if you've heard previous discussions on this show, we've talked a lot about, um, you know, we are dependent on oil revenue and you mentioned it. We talked about it with Holland. We've talked about it in the past. The thing is, is it seems like we've become so dependent on oil revenue that our government growth has built has grown, you know, well beyond that initial payment that we received back in the 69, 68, 69, 70, 900 million dollars. That was the first royalty payment the state received. Um, at the time, the state budget was one hundred and fifty-two million dollars. That was the whole. That was the whole thing. One hundred and fifty-two million, and we received almost a billion dollars. Um, and then they proceeded to rip through that money like a drunken sailor. It only took them a couple of years to spend that money. Um, and if we adjusted for inflation and uh, and and population growth and everything else, our state budget should be somewhere around two billion dollars, based on that hundred and fifty million dollars up to now. And yet we're spending six billion dollars. Uh, do you think that? I mean, are we trying to be all things to all people? Are we trying to do too much? I mean, when when the well, a couple of things. I would say I I mean, and I don't know these numbers off the top of my head. But I can say that we had a smaller population in 1970 than we do in 2022. Right. So a $2 billion budget for a 1970 population of Alaska 
may actually equal a $6 billion budget. Well, no, no, the, the, the dollar figure I gave you is adjusted for both inflation and population. It's based on a per capita inflation and population. So it's not just this is what it was and we extrapolated okay. out you know, with, 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 on inflation. It's both inflation and population. Well, again, I would need to look at the numbers and, and, and kind of uh, review it a little bit before I could, I could speak to it, you know, you know, ex and fluidly. But I will say uh, uh, just about philosophical differences, Michael, that, you know, I think that the conservative, dare I say, libertarian uh, philosophy about the PFD is that giving people money allows them to participate in unrestricted capitalism which is always better than a more socialist view, use of the money. Sure. And a socialist use of, use of the money would be to improve all of our roads, to improve our port, to improve things that benefit all. Whereas giving an individual money and allowing them to spend it as they see fit is a, a, you know, a direct line to unrestricted capitalism. And I do, I mean, you could correct me, well, no, I but just, I feel like that, that is kind of the balancing act. And I feel like that those more on my side of the aisle want to make sure that education is fully funded, right? That, that our roads are well taken care of, that the port is well taken care of, things that are going to benefit society as a whole. Sure, hold on. Whereas hold, hold a, the a line. max PFD hold the line is going to the individual. Right, hold the line for a second here because we're about to bump back up into the radio and I want to, I'll pick, the, we'll pick this up. We'll pick this convo up here in just a hot second as we get back to it. We're 15 seconds out. There's the ding. That reminds us we got to jump back into it. We're going to uh, continue. Andrew Gray is our guest. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free thinking radio. Like and share, like and follow. Here we go. All right, we're continuing now with Andrew Gray, who is a candidate for a state house in District 20, which is the UMED district down there in the city of Anchorage, uh, which is the area surrounding the university and the Providence and the whole big medical complex down there in the eastern side of the new uh, highway, Seward Highway. Um, Andrew continues with us right now. And during the break, we were just talking about, uh, you know, size and scope of government. And and uh, you said something that was it was interesting that, you know, that there seems to be a division as to, um, you know, how the money is looked at, you know, versus the free laissez-faire, free market, full on capitalism versus socialism. And you used a definition of socialism in in that. Uh, well, give us that definition again, because I, I okay, think yeah, so what I was saying was that that that. Um, a maximum PFD allows individuals to, to participate in unrestricted capitalism. And I feel like that those more on the right side of the aisle are always going to opt towards unrestricted capitalism as being the ideal path forward. Whereas those more on the left side of the aisle will opt more towards government spending to maintain the roads, uh, build, you know, build and maintain a great port, uh, fully fund public education things that will benefit society as a whole, but not necessarily any one individual. Right. And I feel like it's a balancing act between those two philosophies. It's it plays a, out in Alaska differently than every other state because no other state has a PFD. Right. Well, and I would, I would say this, I mean, I don't think that uh, infrastructure, 
you know, the, the three things that the Constitution mandates, which is, of course, infrastructure, public safety and education. Those are the three mandates in the Constitution. I don't think you'd find anybody, conservatives alike, who would say that maintaining the roads and building ports and airports and things like that are socialism. I think that that's just the function of government. Um, I mean, that we would all agree with that is really the basic function of government is to provide those things and to maintain those things. Um, yes, I think we'd all like – here's the thing. This is what I call the politician's disease, Andrew. When people go down to Juneau or Washington or whatever capital people need to be you know, are, are near to and the politicians get down there and they come back to you and say – you poor, poor, pitiful kids, you don't understand. We know better than you how to spend your money, how to mandate this, how you should do this, how you should do that, raise your kids, live your life, do whatever. That's when people – that's when the, the bristles go up on the back of people's neck. Is not when you're building roads or, or maintaining bridges or things like that. It's when they say, we know better than you how to spend all this money. And that, I think, is the main sticking point for a lot of people. Right. Well, and, you know, there was a uh, a governor's – forum held, I think, in 1993 with all the living governors of Alaska. And they were asked about term limits for the legislature. And they all supported term limits for the legislature. And Steve Cooper, Democratic governor, uh, late 80s, he um, said that the per you know, that the reason why term limits for the legislature would be a good thing is that Alaska was designed to have a citizen legislature not a professional legislature. Right. A professional legislature is where the legislator is most concerned about re-election and less concerned about doing the right thing. And I think that um, I can get on board with that. I, I, I hope to, main, to maintain my status as a citizen legislator, someone who is here to listen to people like yourself, my constituents, and to always listen with an open mind. And right. the thing about listening with an open mind is that you need to be willing to change your mind. If you go in and say, I have an open mind, but you've already made up your, you know, how you're going to feel about any certain issue. Well, that's not really listening. If you're really going to listen, you've got to be willing to say that the way I thought before actually wasn't accurate right. and I need to shift. And I think that um, too often in politics, not just in Alaska, but the whole country, People have already decided what they're going to think and feel about most given issues. I'm telling you straight up, you know it from the beginning of this show. What I don't have anything about PFD on my website because that is an influx position for me. I have shifted radically from where I was in June. Right. Well, and it's I mean it's good to know it's it's always good to know that people can uh, that their minds can be changed that they're constantly learning. I mean that's important that we that we do that and uh, I mean I'm glad to hear you say it. Now, you have said a couple times here fully funding education and that is in fact up on your website. You say mm -hmm. we need to fully fund public education and higher education in Alaska without good schools or universities, people don't want to raise their family here, et cetera, et cetera. When you say fully fund education, what does that mean? Show me what that looks like. Well, I mean I'm going to tell you straight up, and it, it is the defined pension that we've lost. I mean, you know, our, our educators right now, um, they don't have a good incentive to stay in Alaska. They have an incentive to go to a state that has a good defined pension um, for them. Same with a lot with our first responders. I, <clears throat> I were I, the main reason why I took that job with the VA is um, a pension. You know, there's so few pensions 
in our uh, country today compared to there was 50 years ago. And a pension is really a life changer for so many people. And it really gives them um, that security to know that they are going to be able to support themselves after retirement. And I think not having that is a big deal. It is very expensive. I know that the um, sort of Cadillac retirement plans that we had for our educators 20 years ago, um, you know, there, there are many people that I respect who voted to uh, take that away. I think, though, that, you know, going from this extreme to this extreme was not the way to go. And I think we've got to figure out a way to fully fund a benefits package, not just for education, but for our first responders so that we keep, so that we're not just training police officers and having them move to the lower 48, training our firefighters. We need to have these defined benefits. It's expensive, but it's a way that we can keep the, the talent that we're nurturing in Alaska. Well, it's not like, first of all, that nobody got, they've got a retirement plan and it wasn't all of a sudden, it was a step down approach. You're talking about tier one uh, retirement, but then they had tier two. And then they, a few years later, they had tier three, they stepped it down and now they have tier four, which is defined contributions instead of defined benefits. And, you know, defined benefits, I mean, we were 11 billion dollars in the hole in unfunded liabilities, which was at the time, uh, you know, that was three or four years worth of uh, of state budgets just in unfunded liability, and there was no end in sight. Uh, that's the problem. Defined contribution and, excuse me, defined benefit programs across the country. I mean, many of the corporations, many of the airlines, they had to be bailed out by the federal government because they were unsustainable. Many communities have stopped it. Alaska stopped it primarily because it is too expensive. And all the defined contribution is, is it gives them the ability to, do, to take control of their own finances and their own retirement in the future. And they get a match and everything else. I mean, it's. I'll just speak for myself, Michael. I'm not good at that. And, and, I, and I know that like probably the more libertarian aspect is like, well, if someone's not good at saving, if someone's not good at contributing, well, that's their fault and they'll pay for it in the end. And I'm just saying human nature is that we think about, look at those legislators who had the 900 million back in the, sure. you know, the early part of the state, you know, and they spin it all. People are bad at saving. People are bad at, um, you know, thinking about 20 years from now, they're much better at thinking about tomorrow and this weekend right. and what's coming up. And I just think, I, I mean, uh, that for me, I chose a job with a defined pension because I knew that that was the only way I was going to adequately provide for myself and my family in the future. Sure. You know, I, I do want to say that I do want to talk about my big issue before. Sure. Know, go ahead. Before we go ahead. No, go ahead. So, the main issue, the re- the reason I got involved in Anchorage politics was housing and homelessness. Um, and that is my, the principal plank of my platform. Um, and it's and the reason for that is because that's what the UMED district is most concerned about. When I knock on doors, people are concerned about the high price of housing in our district and those who can't afford housing at all. And um, I want to just um, tell a quick story. You know, I've worked at the, as a healthcare provider for the past five and a half years here. I've had some patients who were homeless, um, one of whom um, at the end of every appointment with me, I would offer a, a, a pass to what was the main shelter for the last couple of years, the Sullivan Arena, always declined. 
And I think what you're going to, you know, that what you hear a lot is that there are some people who choose homelessness. This patient was never choosing homelessness. He was choosing not to be in a large um, facility with 200 other people with no privacy. He would never turn down a room of his own. So what I've learned from this past year of being overly involved is the solution for housing, for homelessness is housing. And we don't have enough housing in our state. And the state has flat funded our critical housing organizations for the past 20 years. I wanna increase that funding. Another big issue, knocking on apartment doors, apartment rents have gone up 20 to 30% in the last few years. I have knocked on the doors of senior citizens, women in their 80s, who their rent has gone up by 30%. Right. Your fixed income. We're, we need to be looking at that. We need to be addressing that. We need to be providing service for that. And that's where I will tell you, I will listen to any conservative, any libertarian on the planet. I am open-minded to any option to increase the amount of housing that we have in Anchorage and, and the state. Andrew Gray, AndrewGrayAK.com. Thank you for coming on board this morning. I appreciate you being part of it. Thank you for, for joining. Thank you so much, Michael. Hold the line. Folks, we got more coming up. All right, we're uh, in the break right now real quick. I see Les Garris in the green room as well. We're going to join him here in just a moment. But, Andrew, I wanted to give you a final bite at that apple. Um, if, uh, uh, you know, and if folks, if you're willing to talk and willing to listen, if folks want to, you want to give an email or something where people can chat with you or phone sure. number or whatever, uh, people, I'm sure, would love to, to discuss this with you. Um, sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is uh, obviously some big issues going on here, and it takes more than 40 minutes to unpack them all sometimes, for sure. Right. Well, yeah, you know what I'll just say, Michael, is that um, I hope I've demonstrated on your show today, but I am willing to listen to people with an open mind. I am willing to be influenced by my constituents. I am not rock hard solid, uh, you know, uh, just this is what I believe and it's never going to change. I want to best represent my district, and I do that by listening. If you want to call me, my number is 907-268-0151. You can text me. That is my cell phone number. I am willing to have a conversation um, with my constituents about what's important to them so that I can best represent them in Juneau. Well, I appreciate you coming on. You know, it's it's interesting to see, like I said, the answer to, to a speech you don't agree with is always more speech. So even if we can agree to disagree on things or we can find some kind of common ground, I agree with you on the term limits and some of the other things as well. I think that that's an important, uh, an important discussion to have. So I appreciate you coming on board. Again, Andrew uh, AndrewGrayAK.com is his website. He gave out his phone number, which I listed in the chat room there for folks who want to call him up or ask him any questions. Andrew Gray, I appreciate it. And I hope that if you do get elected, that you'll uh, uh, come back on the program from time to time to talk with us about uh, what your thoughts are and what's happening down in Juneau. I'd love to. Thank you so much, Michael. Have a wonderful day. Appreciate you coming on board and joining us this morning. Thank you, Andrew Gray, uh, our guest for Hour 1. Leaving into Hour 2 right now in the green room with us is um, is Les Guerra, who's Democratic candidate for governor in the state of Alaska uh, on the uh, Gara Cook uh, campaign ticket. And uh, let's let's test the line here to make sure that he is uh, with us and ready and willing and able this morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? Hey, Michael. How you doing? Good. Let me turn you down here a little bit because you are, again, pretty loud and proud this morning. Uh, <clears throat> you all ready to dive into this? I'm ready to dive in. I am um, the, the world's worst Zoom background, and I'm ready. Oh, that's okay. It's okay. It's the lion's den. I'm sure it's all it's all good this morning. We're gonna have a good time this morning. So, you sound good. You look good. We're ready to go, and uh, we'll dive into this here in just a hot second. If you'll give me a minute here, I will uh, 
do my stuff here in the chat room and get uh, my chat folks here all squared away. Um, all right, folks. Uh, good conversation. Uh, no, I mean, look, I know many of you don't agree with uh, with Andrew Gray and uh, not that I do either, but I think that he had some valid points. It was interesting to see his point of view. And that's what I want to see. I want to see differing points of view. I want to be able to have a conversation uh, about disagreements or things that are are, you know, different and be able to uh, and be able to uh, come away with something new for everybody. So uh, it's all it's all good stuff. Let me go back up here into the uh, comments and see what some of the other comments here um, uh, is a defined benefits discussion that we were having with Andrew. There's a reason that defines benefits fail. If you want to bankrupt a state, this is how you do it. Again, we can look at the number of corporations and communities and states across the country. That's been my big issue with this is, of course, the cost involved in that. It is definitely something that's going to uh, uh, definitely something that's going to cost a lot more than we ever expected or intended. Um, uh, let's see. Yes for term limits. Yes, says thing. And that was, again, what uh, Andrew was talking about was the term limits. We're looking for uh, citizen legislators, not professional politicians. I think that that is definitely something that uh, Andrew and I agree with as well. Um, Oh, scrolling through here. Uh, the function of government, says David, is to protect its citizens and follow the laws justly, not regulate the crap out of its citizens' lives and control them. Government answers to us and our dividends come uh, before the government spend. I mean, that's been a big issue for many years. The, it used to be that it was a simple transfer, right? It was not something that the governor or government appropriated. It was a shall transfer. Uh, that, of course, changed uh, under Bill Walker. And uh, they changed how they accounted for it because, again, it used to be a simple transfer. Now it's an income and an outflow. It actually counts against the, the, uh, the, the sheets, right, as income and outgo. And so now they appropriate it instead of transfer it. And that's where the whole, uh, that's where the whole thing comes about. Harold says, fact, defined contribution is a far better retirement for employees than defined benefit. I think uh, probably because Harold believes that it gives them more control, which I think is one of the benefits of a defined contribution plan as well. And it doesn't bankrupt the institution that's in, that's putting it together. That's the other uh, thing as well. Um, uh, all I want, uh, let's see. Good to see you saying Expanded Horizons. I'm just scrolling through the comments real quick here. Um, stop giving away your oil. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I've said that I think there's money still left on the table there that we should be, that we should be, uh, taking a look at. We should be taking a look at all options. All options should be on the table. And that's an unpopular opinion with some, but that's just how it is. All options, including oil taxes or, you know, uh, um, some kind of, uh, some kind of change to the, uh, uh, to the severance. I mean, mineral rights tax, we need to be looking at all those things that all needs to be part and parcel of the discussion. Uh, just like what the fiscal policy working group had in, in front of them. I think that was a, I think that's a brilliant, brilliant roadmap to where we could go from here. And that has everything on it from taxes to oil taxes, to the fees, to cutting a government, to everything. I think it's a, it's a great roadmap that we should all be looking at. All right. We're coming up onto it here. We're about uh, 60 seconds out. Les Guerra is in the wings waiting to join us. And we're going to dive into this him uh, into this with him for about uh, 40 minutes or so. And then we will open up the phone lines at the very end of the show to take calls and discussions on today's guests and see what your thoughts are. Let's jump into it. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Don't forget to like and share and follow. 
wherever you are, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, wherever you are, do all the things. And uh, we'll be back. Les Guerra up next. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the internet uh, and around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator, it is The Michael Duke Show. You can also find us, as I said, on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com where we've got the audio-only live stream and links to our social media where we simulcast the show every morning on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch TV. We're continuing now our discussions with candidates from around the state. We're only six weeks away from the general election, and we've got a whole spate of candidates. We just finished up with Andrew Gray, who's running for State House of District 20. You can catch that on the podcast if you missed it. Right now, though, we're going to jump into it with our new guest. It is Les Guerra, Democrat, running for the uh, governorship of the state of Alaska. And he joins us uh, right now. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good, Michael. How you doing? You know, again, beautiful day. It's not snowing. It is raining again. But, you know, what are, what are you going to do? So it's uh, it's as good as it can get. At least it's not snowing. You know, I, I I try to fish 30, 40 days a year, and I've uh, fished zero this year with the campaign. So I don't even know what the weather's like outside yeah. anymore. Well, my dogs tell me every morning. They're like, are you kidding me? I can't go outside in that. That's nasty. It's it's amazing. Uh, Les, thank you for coming on the program this morning um, and uh, talking about issues. Uh, first and foremost, give us a little bit of your background for people who may not have, I mean, they probably heard the name Les Guerra as you've been a legislator for many years. Um, but, you know, give us a little bit of background about who you are, where you are, where you come from, and uh, we'll move on from there. I will, Michael. Thank you for letting me do that. I, you know, I was just over at an oil and gas association debate last uh, week, and and they defined me as the guy who wants to make sure we get a fair share for our oil. Um, but um, uh, but here's who I am as, as a person. Um, I grew up, uh, my parents were immigrants. Um, uh, my father had a small office in Harlem in New York when I was a kid. Um, uh, I grew up in a broken family. Parents didn't get along. Um, you know, we lived on the run, my mother and I, from apartment to apartment. That was my childhood. Uh, at age six, my father got custody of me. Um, and uh, but by that December, somebody came into his office late one night uh, in a neighborhood he loved. Uh, uh, but somebody came into his office late one night and, and killed him with a knife. Um, and I don't want any sympathy. Work uh, life turned out fine for me. But I grew up in foster care um, uh, from age six to age 18. And I think it shaped my view on life. And my view on life is that everybody deserves a chance in this world. Everybody. 
uh, whether you're born rich or poor, you deserve a chance in the, this life. If you can't afford job training, uh, we have a, we should extend a hand so you can better yourself. Uh, if you can't afford college and want to do that, we should extend a hand so you can better yourself, college or, or job training, whatever route you want to take. Um, and uh, that's really my core value. Look, I'm a fisherman. I want to protect our fishing streams. I want to make sure our fish are here for the next generation. There are a lot of things that I believe in, but if you want my core value, uh, it's from the way I grew up. It's that, you know, you don't just get tossed in the gutter. You deserve a chance. I, I knew early on, I think, uh, my father impressed it on me just in the six months I got to live with him uh, when I was six. I mean, I lived with him from age zero to three, but I don't remember those years. Um, but uh, in the six months I got to live with him before I died, he was just, he instilled in me that as an immigrant kid, his view was my only future was education. And he had me reading hardcover books by the time I was six. And um, and I don't know, look, you know, it's I, I love sports when I was a kid, but I knew my way out. I knew my way out of foster care. I knew my way out to have a chance in this world was um, was school. Um, you know, I didn't think like lofty, how do you fund schools? I thought I better go do my homework is what I thought. Uh, I played a lot of sports when I was a kid. Um, I, I peaked when I was 13. Uh, I, I thought I was going to go to the NBA and I stopped growing. And um, and uh, my high school sports career was not not impressive at all. Um, but look, when I say don't feel sorry for me, everybody grows up with their own hardship in this world. You either have a tough family, maybe, or your family has tough circumstances. Most people have their own hardship in this world. And um, so I get no sympathy because I ended up making it by scholarship to college, I ended up going to law school with uh, with Michelle Obama, or so they tell me. I, I never met her, um, um, but uh, it was a school of 1,500 people. But, you know, I did fine. I came up here with my wife, Kelly, in 1988, uh, moved to Fairbanks, and um, uh, took a job being a law clerk to uh, a Supreme Court justice, Jay Rabinowitz. Um, and then the Exxon Valdez oil spill happened in 1989, and I called up and I said, look, I've got these... Kelly and I had jobs waiting for us back east, but we decided we wanted to live here. I fell in love with fishing. We liked the outdoors. And uh, I called up the state. I said, after the Exxon Valdez oil spill, are you going to sue them? Because if you are, I'll, I'll join the team. And I became an assistant attorney general. And I said, can I stay in Fairbanks? And they said, no. And so that's how I ended up in Anchorage, literally, uh, was you take the job in Anchorage or you uh, don't get the job. So, uh, But I wanted to hold Exxon accountable for the Exxon Valdez oil spill. Um, look, some of the oil industry, um, I believe that we should be equal partners with the oil industry. Oil jobs are important. Um, oil development is important. Um, the sort of East Coast party politics where they don't understand the need for development or fishing or hunting. You know, I wish I could go back. One of my jobs I wish I could have is to go back East and explain to sort of city politicians that life is different out here. They call us sort of flyover states. They don't understand that um, that we have a different way of life out here. I fish most of my free time. If I get free time, I spend my time in the outdoors. Um, I got, I've got a really good friend who's a firearms instructor. He loves doing that. He doesn't fish. He spends his time at the shooting range. And, um, and look, we're different here because this is a different state. And in my view, a better state, right? You, we still have public access to a fishing stream in Montana. You have to pay to access a fishing stream. They, they own the fishing banks. Uh, I've introduced legislation as a legislator trying to keep public access so we can all enjoy our fish and hunting and hiking. And so people don't block us uh, off people off off of a fishing stream. I, I, I believe in that. Um, 
look, that's the fun part of being an Alaskan, but it's a crucial part of being an Alaskan. I think I, I wouldn't live here if I couldn't fish. I don't think. Right. So that's uh, a little, that's a bit about me. So, uh, worked my way through school. I, I, I say I worked my way through, through 12, through being 12. That's when I started working, but I, I had to, you know, it's, I didn't have parents who had money for me. Right. No, absolutely. It's good to get a little bit of a background and understand uh, where you come from. Um, you know, I will say this, your uh, your website, which is, by the way, lesgara.com, L-E-S-Gara.com, um, has your issues page. And I will congratulate you on probably one of the most thorough issues pages that I've seen in quite a while. You've got a lot of information in there, including footnotes and links and everything else to your positions on many different things. And while many of my listeners are not going to agree with your positions on a lot of this, uh, I think it does, it gives us a little insight to where you come from and, and you know, your perspective on things. You know, the the big issue that we've talked about on this program, well, I mean, incessantly for the last six years, it seems like, has been the permanent fund dividend. And you've got an interesting take on the dividend, I think, compared to some of your other uh, colleagues. Um, you know, the, the permanent fund dividend is is the people's money, right? I mean, that's our portion of the revenue wealth that we're supposed to receive. And you have uh, what you say on here, a strong stance on the PFD. You support a full statutory PFD. Is that correct? I have in the past. Like I, in 2014, I tried to put it in the constitution. Um, and, um, and, um, look, I, look, Mike Denleby has had to take bad PFD votes. I've had to take bad PFD votes we never had the majority in the legislature for doing these things. And I think at some point you just have to, you can beat your head against the wall or you can do the best as you can do. Um, but I did in 2014 have a bill to put the permanent fund dividend formula in the constitution. I was badly outnumbered just as a Democrat, we were outnumbered, I think 27 to 13. And really look, I don't want to, there are Republicans and Democrats with, with views all over the place on the dividend, but the Republican leadership in the house and in the Senate, wanted to cut the PFD to $1,000. My, my constitutionalized thing, the PFD formula was never going to go anywhere. Um, uh, and so at that point, I just tried to start building as big a PFD as I could. Today, look, my view is this. We're giving away our oil money, and we're making people fight over the crumbs. Uh, and if anybody knows my legislative career, apart from making sure kids have a chance in this world and workers have a chance to a good job, um, my view is we cannot run a state if we give our, our oil away to the oil industry for a song. Um, uh, so, you know, right now we have a, a, an oil tax system. Look, I voted with Sarah Palin to uh, to adopt the this oil tax system in 2008 called called ACES. It had some flaws. It, it needed to be adjusted, but it, it raised we, we took in 17 billion dollars of budget surpluses. Even with some legislators spending too much money on pet projects, we took in $16 billion in surpluses. And uh, look, one of my big disagreements with Mike, with Mike Dunleavy is the oil industry came in and they tried to change that, of course. They didn't like us getting a fair share for our oil. They tried knocking that bill down every single year. And, um, and uh, by 2013, Mike Dunleavy had been elected and he was the deciding vote to get rid of our oil tax system, ACES, and he put us in poverty. He, he adopted this thing called SB21 which is still on the books now, it includes a provision that gives away $1.2 billion in oil company subsidies called tax credits. I think it's insane. Um, at, uh, at a normal price of oil, let's say $70 a barrel, it provides for like an 11% tax on profits. Um, I started my legislative career saying we're not getting a fair share for our oil because I knew 
Look, I never grew up wanting to tax the oil industry. It was nothing nothing I grew up thinking about. I grew up thinking that everybody deserves a fair chance in life. And so in this state, if you're going to have a dividend, you're going to have schools, if you're going to have job training, if you're going to have a university, if you're going to have a construction budget that puts people to work, which is one of the most important things we can do in the state, you need some money to do it. And giving away your money to the oil industry is the first thing you don't do. But really, since 2014, uh, this state has make, been making people fight each other over the crumbs, and I'm tired of it. Um, uh, you, the, the budget is enough to either have a P PFD or schools or a university or job training or a construction budget, and, and Alaskans have been set to fight each other over these things. If we had a fair share for our oil, we could easily have a dividend every year over $2,000. In a year like this, if, if Russia invades an innocent country like Ukraine and you have a ton of extra money because you got war profits going all over the place because of high oil prices, you can do an energy uh, rebate, a dividend like uh, we did, like I voted for. I voted for a bigger energy rebate when when Sarah Palin was governor than we provided this year. Um, so uh, it, uh, let me just say it this way. Um, I became friends with Jay Hammond, former governor Jay Hammond in his later years. And when I was pushing for oil tax reform, when I first started as a legislator, we had 16 of the 19 fields on the North Slope that paid no production tax whatsoever. Zero. I said that was wrong. And um, and one of the leaders, I'll say a Democratic leader, said, you're never going to get away with changing the oil tax system. And I said, well, I'm not here to be a wallflower. Uh, and he said, well, you do that, you're going to get unelected. And next thing I knew, one of the, 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 the biggest, wealthiest lobbyists in the state was in my office telling me if I, if I dared push oil tax reform to get a fair share for oil to end those tax breaks, that I'd get unelected the next year. And I said, fine, you know, First of all, it was like it was it was pretty betraying for for me to have a colleague send a lobbyist into my office, and then to have a lobbyist come into my office telling me I was going to get unelected if I ever uh, tried to get a fair share for our oil. Well, I did it, and I couldn't get anybody to join me except for Hollis French. Right, and um, and uh, the only only major people who'd speak out in favor of me were Jay Hammond, former governor, Wally Hickel, former governor. Those were the two governors on my first press release: Jay Hammond and Wally Hickel. And Jay would always say, first you get a fair share for your oil." then everything follows through and then you can have your fights. But if you don't have a fair share for your oil, you're fighting over the crumbs. The state's fighting over the crumbs right now. I mean, this is interesting because I've said uh, in the past and I've been saying that, you know, there's money left on the table there for sure. I don't know if it's $1.2 billion worth, but I think that there's money left there on the table and we should be. And we should not have fields that have zero production tax on them. There should be, uh, we should be getting money for every gallon of oil that comes out of the ground because, again, it's a shared resource. That's important. Um, but again, I don't know necessarily what the solution is, but maybe you will come up with that here in just a hot second and tell us what you think the fair our fair shake should be on this but we got to take a break les guerra is our guest candidate for governor on the democratic ticket he is going to continue with us here in just a moment and we will be back the michael duke show common sense liberty-based free thinking radio we return with les guerra right after these messages don't go anywhere don't forget you can also join us on facebook facebook.com slash Michael Duke show back with more after this. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes, allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on, on, the, on the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook live and Michael Dukes show.com. 
All right, we're in the break right now. Les Guerra is uh, our guest. Uh, we're continuing with him, uh, and I want to get back to the ideal. You know, I want to get back to the oil tax structure because I think that's a, you know it's a big part of your your platform yeah. and campaign. Uh, but what you're saying for the PFD is that you were for a statutory PFD. So how would you classify the PFD you're for now? Is it statutory? Is it leftover? Is it you know what do you think is the ideal? I mean, because I, I personally, if you, you, if you've heard the show, you know that I think that the statute the statute is a pretty good idea. It's worked fine for years. So what what is the what is the solution in your mind for the PFD? You know, I've, I've working in the legislature. I've realized I can't have everything I want. Um, the votes are not going to be there. And really, there is a there is a flaw in the current formula, which is if if we have bad stock stock market years and we lost money in the the permanent fund lost mark money in the stock market last year. If you have bad stock market years, the PFD goes down to $800. If you if you have the longest stock market run in history, which we had from 2009 till 2021, then the, the PFD goes up to two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000. And so it just, I would rather have a stable PFD that's strong and that I think I can build consensus on. We can fight over the PFD and I can say, look, I want a $4,000 PFD and never get the votes. And um but I think you have to have a PFD over $2,000 and it has to grow every year. Um, and and so I think we could easily do a PFD of over $2,200 and have a formula that says it grows every year. It doesn't go down to $800 in a bad stock market year. Um, but we need a fair share for our oil to pay for it because right now what we're doing is just, we're just fighting in circles every single year since 2014. Um, and uh, it's either the PFD or schools or roads or a construction budget or a university. And um, I'm tired of the fight. So, look, I'm open minded on the PFD. I think it's got to be substantial. I, When I was in Nome last year, I sort of sent out the message that I was thinking about running for governor. I really actually wasn't dying to run for governor. And a guy yelled to me from across the street in Nome and said, look, Les Guerra, I want you to be my governor. Get me my PFD. And in a lot of places in the state where oils or gas is $9 a gallon or milk is $9 a gallon. Look, I've got friends who say cut the PFD to a thousand dollars and get rid of it. But those friends uniformly are people who don't need it. Right. You got to understand there are people in the state who need it and you're never going to have a needs-based PFD. So give up on that. You're not going to never going to have a PFD where you give it to some people and don't give it to others. So let's do a PFD. We can afford if we end this $1.2 billion in oil company tax credits, we can do a PFD that's much bigger than we've had since 2014. Look, under this governor, the PFD, the first three years averaged $1,200 a year. Um, and by the way, this governor voted for Governor Walker's veto of the PFD back in 2016. I tried to override that veto. At, at least Governor Walker has been honest about it the whole time. Um, I don't think this governor really believes in the PFD. You could disagree with me, but I've watched it. He's proposed numbers, but never a way to fund the PFD. And, uh, and you can't it's the 1960s liberal thing. You can't propose the spending part without the how to pay for it part, because otherwise, otherwise it's a false promise. And right. I think under this governor, it's been a false promise uh, until this year. Russia invades Ukraine and we have money, but it's been twelve hundred bucks every other year. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting because the statutory formula, as you said, it goes up and down. It's a dividend. It's not an endowment. It's not a you know, it, and that's actually part of the benefit. I mean, that's what makes the the statutory formula good is that it does respond to market forces. So if we're not earning more money. Money, then we all get a little bit less. If we're doing well, then we all get the windfall. Uh, 
and 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 you're right. Assuming, let's say, pick a number, five hundred million dollars more in oil revenues, that's going to trickle down after a couple of years into the earnings, and pretty soon you'll see the dividends go up. So you're right in that regard. But the the PFT statute is the perfect statute in the fact that it responds exactly to market forces, and we get exactly what the market is doing. So if it's down, we get a smaller one. If it's up, we get a larger one. That's a good thing. I mean, to me, because we do have the down years, but usually it's up, up, up. I would say, Michael, that if you can afford the PFD, you should pay it. And so um, I don't believe in those years of $800 PFDs, which you get when the stock market goes down for two years, probably will get again. Under, if the for, if you look at the formula next year and we have another bad year of, uh, of, of stock market earnings and lose money in the permanent fund again, I think you're looking at an $1,100 or $800 PFD. And I think you should pay the PFD you can afford. I think if you end this $1.2 billion in oil company subsidies, we'll have enough money to just promise people a stable, strong PFD every single year, not have it go down on them and have it be over $2,200. All right, hold the line. Let's care. All right, Les Guerra is our guest uh, candidate for governor uh, on the uh, Democrat ticket here in the state of Alaska, bringing him on board to talk about uh, the various issues and things like that. We were just talking during the break about the PFD. I want to get back to the oil taxation uh, question and the size and scope of budget, but we were just talking about the PFD and we're trying to see, you know, what is your philosophy? Basically, we should have what you're saying is we should have a PFD that's set at a certain amount that increases every year. Um, but if we have the money, we should pay it. I mean, is that a leftover PFD or what? I mean, is it, or is it just changing the formula overall in your mind? Look, I'm going to work with whatever legislature we have, but I, I believe, you know, being a budget person that we end all, these all company tax credits, we could easily afford a PFD over 2,200 bucks every single year and have it grow every single year. Stop making these false promises. You know, uh, under this governor, the PFD averaged $1,230 his first year. He supported Governor Walker's veto down to $1,000. He didn't have the guts to try to override it. I tried to override it. Um, let's, just, let's just end the fight and let's, let's give people a strong PFD every single year. I believe if you have the money, you should pay it. I don't think it should be based on the stock, stock market. I think the stock market is sort of a fiction. And, um, and uh, it's do we have the funds? And we'll have the funds if we end these oil company tax credits. Uh, you, wanted to, you wanted to know how that would work. I'm happy to talk about that. But um, but. Uh, look, it's something that Sarah Palin and I agreed on. Uh, we worked together. We built, I think, the strongest oil tech system we've ha ever had in state history. Uh, we had $17 billion of surpluses. And uh, enough for me to say, let's put the PFD in the Constitution in 2014. And um, uh, But we lost. We lost that. The oil industry came in. They had their legislators. They had Mike Dunleavy. They rolled back our oil tech system. So we get almost nothing, and we fight over the crumbs right now. Dunleavy was the deciding vote to get rid of our oil tech system, to get rid of that system we built with Sarah Palin. Um, that system needed to be tweaked. It didn't need to be trashed. You say, you know, if if we have the money, we should pay the full PFD. Does that mean that if we uh, – because, again, this this was a transfer, right? I mean, that was the initial – that was how it was written is that this wasn't money that hit the books. It wasn't in and out money. It was the legislature shall transfer from the earnings reserve 
so on. So, I mean, the money is there. It's not like if the stock market goes up and down, the money is there. It's all based on the formula. So shouldn't they pay the statutory formula? Shouldn't they just pay it? Shouldn't they follow the law? I mean, that's that's the question. Shouldn't they just follow the law as it's written? And if they don't like it, shouldn't they change the statute? I've, I've told you my view, Michael. Uh, I, I tried doing the statutory PFD. Uh, their votes were just never there for it. And so um, I could you can I can just sort of yell and sit on the sidelines and say, do it, do it, do it and lose every single year. I think we should just move to a formula that gives people a guaranteed amount that, that they can rely on for the next year. It shouldn't go up and down by 100 percent every year. That doesn't help you buy groceries or fill your, your fuel tank. I think it should be over two hundred twenty over twenty two hundred dollars a year and grow every year. People know what's coming. I think that's good for the economy. It's, it's actually bad for the economy to have a PFD that drops by three thousand uh, um, dollars. Um, that's not good for the economy. Um, but to have a strong, stronger PFD than we've had for any of the past um, any of the past ten years, I think, is something we should do and end this fight and stop fighting over it. The the current formula, like I said, a couple of years of stock market losses, like we're in right now. You're talking about an $800 PFD again, and I, I just, and if you had, and you'd have the money to pay a bigger one, but under the formula you wouldn't. And I just, it's not the way. I think it's time to move to a to a PFD people can bank on instead of what's been just false promises by people. They'll promise, you know, a $3,000 PFD and never pay it. It's how you get elected. I could tell you, I could get elected by promising something that you'll never, that nobody, will, that you'll never get the votes to pay in the legislature. Um, but. Uh, I'm not going to go to the, I'm not going down to Juno just to be a protester. So I, I think we need to bring the legislature together. We'll look at everybody else's ideas. It's it's never going to be the idea I just said here. It's going to be the idea you get 60 votes for. But I think we can afford a much stronger PFD than we've had since 2014. So changing the statute is essentially changing it to a formula that you think is more sustainable in that regard. That gives you a 2200 bucks that grows and grows and grows. Yeah, I think so. And, 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 and more if, if you've got the, you know, God forbid it, Russia ever invades Ukraine again. We got these massive oil prices again. But um, you know, if 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 people are struggling at the pump because oil or gas is five dollars a gallon or nine dollars a gallon in Nome, I think we have to give people relief. You talk about the. We were talking about the oil companies earlier. Uh, you mentioned the one point two billion dollars, which is a number that I've seen bandied around quite a bit. I don't think that there's quite that much left, uh, you know, uh, on the table, so to speak. But what is your ideal? You know, what is Les Guerra's suggestion for what the ideal oil taxation structure should be? Um, you know, for the state of Alaska moving forward, uh, seeing all the money that's being left out there on the table, so to speak. Yeah, in 2017, um, I, I was I, I helped form a bipartisan House coalition: Democrats, Republicans, Independents. Um, I didn't get as strong an all-tax bill passed the House as I wanted, but it would have been a 25% tax on profits that goes up at high oil prices. So um, when oil companies are making, you know, um, on Prudhoe Bay, it costs about $30 a barrel a barrel to develop and deliver a barrel of oil. And so there's about $70 of pure profit on, on that oil coming out of Prudhoe Bay right now. Um, and uh, look, oil companies are making a ton of money right now. Uh, uh, war profits are great for them. They're just not great for us. And so um, uh, my ideal system would be uh, one that uh, goes up, uh, up and down based on oil company profits. So oil companies are treated fairly. We're treated fairly. We get a fair share. Um I know the legislature doesn't like those complexities. Um, if we ended all company tax credits, what we'd have is a 35% tax on profits 
on, on oil fields on the North Slope. Um, so when we say there's $1.2 billion the state's giving away in tax credits, that's the difference between what we get and what we would get if we had just a simple 35% tax on profits. Um, you know, if I if I had my way, I would make it a little bit lower at low oil prices when companies aren't doing well and, and higher at high prices when companies are making war profits. Uh, when the companies are making war profits, are you talking about specifically about the Ukrainian situation? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, right now, um, you know, uh, uh, Exxon's taking in $70 a, a barrel of, a, of clear of their costs at Prudhoe Bay. Um, uh, so of the, of the $100 a barrel oil is at roughly right now, maybe it's 91 today. Um, uh, $60, $70 a barrel straight. Those, those are war profits, I think. Um, in most countries and most states, the, the, the place that owns the oil keeps the majority, the vast majority of the wealth. It's, it's how, you know, if Exxon owned the oil, what do you think they'd sell it, sell it to us for? That's sort of what we should sell it to them for. We own the oil. Uh, we should cut the deal that's the strongest for us. In Iraq, their, their oil tax is over 95%. Um, uh, in, in, uh, in Sweden, or in Norway, it's over 75% of profits. And um, uh, look, you can give incentives for new companies. I, uh, I think the big companies have deterred development by small companies constantly on the North Slope. They've probably deterred more oil development on the North Slope, the, the big companies, by stopping independence from coming up there. Probably deterred more oil development than any environmental group. Um, uh, you know, this last year, um, Conoco tried to stop an independent company from crossing the Kaparic oil field to this 200,000 barrel a day field called Pika. Um, Conoco doesn't own that land. The state owns that land. Um, I, if I were governor, I would have said, yes, you can access across that land to get to a 200,000 barrel a day field. Um, and, and frankly, that's the law. And, um, and it, 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 but what the big companies do is they try and make it hard enough for the independents to get the independents to sell their leases uh, to them for a song. And, uh, you know, I don't believe in that. Les Gary is our guest, a Democratic candidate for governor here in the state of Alaska. I want to move over to the issue of uh, education. Um, we, you know, we're struggling in the state, Les. The, you know, education is one of our largest budget uh, line items uh, in the state. And uh, it's, you know, we're still uh, struggling to hit uh, you know, scholastic achievement goals and everything else. We've got a 75% graduation rate, which means one in four don't even graduate. Um, and we're spending more than almost anybody else at this point. What is the solution? Is the solution more money? Is it a fundamental change in how we educate? What is, you know, what are your thoughts on education? Uh, should we be spending more or less? Or is it uh, is it something systemic that we need to address? Yeah, I think we got to look at it from the eyes of like a kid, right? A kid who's got very little. We got to look at it and not from the eyes of an adult who's who 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 is saying what's the dollar amount. I mean, it should be a rational dollar amount, but when I was when I first got elected to the legislature, we had already gone through a decade of education cuts. Um and so I said, "Look, let's just take the formula, keep it up with inflation every year." Um, and uh, and we won't fight about it. Schools will know what they're going to get. We'll, we won't have to fire teachers every year. Um, but we haven't done that. And um, and just since 2014, education funding is more than $100 million behind the, the cost of inflation. We're at the point where in a lot of school districts, we're offering $50,000 for a starting teacher with no pension. And the, that teacher knows they can come up here, have some fun in Alaska, maybe go hunting, maybe go fishing for a couple of years, and then go to another state that gives them a pension and more money. So 
you know, I was in Kodiak a few weeks ago. The school district had the money to hire nine more or six more teachers. They were short, but they couldn't convince a teacher to come to Kodiak. And the, the new superintendent was from Texas. And she said, look, they're offering 50,000 bucks a year and no pension. And in Texas, they're offering $59,000 a year and a pension and lower housing prices. You got to look at reality. Who are you competing against? Um, if you want to say do education on the cheap, you're going to get you're not going to get the the quality teachers you need. You've got to look and see what teachers are getting in other places so you can compete. We used to we used to have um, you know lines of like 100, 200 teachers at our job fairs when we went to the lower 48 to get teachers. And those teachers would come here and they would stay here. Now we're getting like almost nobody showing up at the Alaska table at our job fairs because we don't pay competitively. Um, we've got some great teachers in the state, but those are people who say, look, I'll stay here. I don't care what the pay is. I want to be a teacher. I want to live in my community, but you don't get a lot of those people. And what we get a lot of, we're even at this point where we're hiring, um, uh, people with these, uh, these, uh, J one visas who are allowed to come to the United States for two years and then they leave. That's a terrible way to teach kids to have teachers that don't ever become familiar with kids. So I, I've said, and I've said all along, and I'll always say, we should have a statute that keeps education funding up with inflation every year. We won't have this fight every single year. Um, and uh, that's part of it. And uh, I know you talked about the pension. We, uh, we, we need to have a pension where we're losing police. Uh, we train, we spend 10,000 bucks to train a police officer. And in, in Kenai, they stay for two years. They have fun fishing and hunting and they leave and they go to a state that gives them a pension. The problem with our pension system was we had this early one from the 1980s called tier one that was insanely expensive. It was way too lucrative. Um, you know, the state was flowing with oil. Uh, the state had a lot of money. And we had this insane provision, which still exists for people who still have a pension. We haven't given anybody a pension who's been hired since 2006. We had this insane rule that your, your pension was based on the three highest years of your salary. So if you made $50,000 a year, and then you decide to get a, then you try and transfer, let's say to Bethel, which is what somebody did. And you get a cost differential and your, your salary goes up to $80,000 a year for three years. You get a, you get paid a pension as if you put in at $80,000 a year, your whole career, it robs the pension system. Uh, there are silly parts. There are dumb parts of the pen of the old pension system that need to be removed like that, that high three years provision. But you've got to look at the market and who you're competing against. If you want police officers and troopers and teachers and the, and the people that we need in the state, you got to look at what they can get elsewhere and, and all the other states in the country, they can get a pension. It doesn't need to be a luxury pension like it was back in the eighties. Um, it, it needs to be a modest pension, but, but if you have a pension then, um, and we offer one at roughly the same cost of the 401k plan we offer right now, people have an incentive to stay the longer you work, the, the stronger your pension is. And, um, and that's what other states do. But we, um, but we ignore see, what's going on in, in all the other states. But we've seen defined benefits programs across the country. I mean, they're, they're going away because again, they, they are even, even the milder ones, not a tier one. They're, they're enormously expensive for the long run because of the unfunded liability. I mean, we still have an unfunded liability from the tier one, billions of dollars in unfunded liability. And adding to that at this point just seems like 
not the best choice. I mean, if we need to doctor up our defined contributions plan or something else to make it better, that's one thing. But again, it doesn't indebt the state in the future on those kind of things. And it puts a control into the player's hands, into the employee's hands. Um, and and we've seen, you know, company after company have to be bailed out. We've seen communities that have abandoned their defined benefits program because, again, of the cost of those situations. And that seems, it almost seems foolhardy to do that in that regard. we got about two minutes here. I think what's foolhardy is having a pension you can't afford. That's what the state did in the 80s. Um, uh, but they peered it down from tier one, the most lucrative pension, to tier two, the second most lucrative pension, to tier three, um, a much more modest pension. And then they got rid of it in 2006. Um, I voted against getting rid of pensions. Um, I said, come up with a modest pension that we can afford. So that unfunded liability comes from those very high pension systems that nobody could afford. Um, look, the, the Chamber of Commerce, the Fortune 500 companies came into Alaska and they wanted to get the state to end our pensions because they wanted less pressure on them to pay pensions. I think you can pay a modest pension so people have, have, have a retirement to live on. I'm sorry, but unless you're, unless you're making over $100,000 a year, you can't put away enough money in a 401k to retire. Um, you know, if you're making $50,000, $60,000 a year, you can't put enough money away in a 401k to retire if, if you're going to send your kid to college or do job training or something like that. Um, but the reality is you have to compete for your teachers and your police. And all of our teachers and police know they can go to another state and get a pension and better pay. And they do that. They just come up here to fish and hunt for a couple of years and they leave. That's yeah. just no way to run a state. Less we're up against it here. I'm going to give you about 60 seconds for your final elevator pitch for folks out there, why they should vote less Gara for governor. And, uh, and that's it. 60 seconds. Go. Yeah, I think uh, apart from everything I, I talked about, look, I think um, we got to protect our fishing streams. I, I oppose the pebble mine. I'm a, I am believe in responsible mining. We largely have responsible mining in the state, including Fort Knox up in Fairbanks. But pebble mine is a, a toxic open pit mine at the headwaters of the last greatest salmon runs in the world. Governor Denleby supports it and has sued on behalf of the pebble mine owners. I think that mine is a toxic nightmare and a threat to our fish. I think we're, we're allowing outside factory trawlers to kill and dump over a thousand tons of halibut uh, in the high seas. Uh, we have the majority of those seats Alaska does. We should put limits on that with a, that's called bycatch, uh, where you kill over a thousand tons of halibut, dump over 500,000 chums to the bottom of the ocean and tell Alaskans they can't fish uh, for these fish. I believe we have to protect our fish, our game, our fishing and hunting access so people can enjoy the state, even if they don't own huge amounts of property. Uh, I believe we should have strong schools. I believe we should do all tax reform so we don't turn everybody against each other to fight between schools or a PFD or a construction budget that puts people to work. We should have all of those things. And by ending these all company tax credits, uh, we could do that. Lesgara, lesgara.com. Thanks for coming on board and sharing your thoughts with us this morning. We appreciate it. Uh, always an interesting conversation. Hold the line for us for just a second here. Folks, we're out of time for this segment. We're going to open up the phone lines next. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Don't go anywhere. What is that? Common Sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Michael Duke Show. All right, final break here. Uh, Les Guerra wanted to give him one final bite at the apple just in case there's something that we didn't hit on that he wanted to hit on that was important to him and a chance to sum it again just in case because I hate being up against the clock like that. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll give it to Les. Anything we missed that we didn't hit that you wanted to hit on or uh, any other final thoughts? 
Yeah, I think you've heard from me. I mean, I think Governor Dunleavy has to come in and say, look, he, he voted to support Governor Walker's PFD veto down to $1,000 in 2016. Um, his first three years as governor, he never proposed a way to, to pay for the dividend. He did the paying part, not the how do you fund it part. At one year in 2000, a year ago, he tried to take $3 billion of extra money out of the permanent fund because he had no plan and said, We'll pay for government and, and a dividend with that. Um, the year before that, he proposed a billion dollars of new taxes. And then when he got backlash, he withdrew that proposal. He never said what those taxes would be. But look, you can have honesty um, or you can have a, a false promise. And the false promise has been uh, until Russia invaded Ukraine and we had extra oil money. This governor paid a $1,200 dividend his first three years. He supported the veto dividend back in 2016. Um, look, I believe in a dividend and uh, I believe in a strong one. Uh, but I believe we have to get a fair share for oil so we can we can move the state forward with construction projects and power projects and reduce the cost of energy um, and have uh, schools for our kids and have job training and a university, whichever uh, route a kid wants to take. But we've got to make sure people have a chance to succeed in this world. That's my core value that everybody has, deserves a chance to succeed in this world with a good job, with a good education. Those are things that I believe in very strongly. It's why I'm running. I don't see a fair chance in this world for people who are born with little right now. Uh, if you're born to a wealthy or very healthy family, you'll probably do fine. But if you're born with very little or not to a healthy family, um, I think you get tossed to the side. I don't believe in that. As somebody who grew up in foster care, I believe everybody deserves a chance in this world. It's it's my core belief. And that's what I'll do is make sure everybody has a chance and opportunity to succeed in this state again. And fish and hunt. And fish and hunt. Les Guerra, um, I hope that if you do become governor that you'd be willing to come on the program uh, frequently to discuss uh, issues in the states and things like that. Uh, you know, whether we agree politically or not, I think it's important that uh, there's some outreach from the governor to, you know, to be in contact with the people and explain positions and situations outside of a 148 character soundbite. You know what I mean? Agreed, Michael. I'd come on before the before the election again. It's uh, it's been on my the the list my to do list, which I haven't for a long time. I'm happy to come on, you know, in a few weeks if you'd like. Um, so, uh, and I should have come on the summer. So, all right. Well, I appreciate it, Les Guerra. Thank you for being part of it today, uh, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, talking to you again in the future. Thank you for being uh, with us today. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. All right, folks, that uh, is, uh, whoops, wrong one. Let me push the right button. There we go. Uh, Les Guerra, uh, our guest here on the program this morning as we uh, as we do our thing and uh, get back into it. So uh, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, how do you feel about the candidates that came in today? I know some of you are, you know, uh, happy. Some of you are, are angry. Uh, some of you have uh, heard some of the things, and I think that there's some things we can agree with, and some things that we can disagree with. And I, I think it's again, it's the grocery store method. You find things, you find the things that you like, and you leave the rest. Uh, if there's something in there good or some ideas, um, I really enjoyed uh, Andrew Gray coming on board and talking and and being willing to um, you know to say, look, I've changed my position. I'm flexible. I, I think some of those things, and I think we need to have that open mindedness. Now, does that mean I'm gonna? I would vote for him, maybe, maybe not. Uh, you know, I, I don't live in the district, but I think it at least shows an idea that citizen legislators, um, uh, you know, would be, uh, you know, citizen legislators would be a good idea, especially with the term limits and other things that we've talked about uh, before. Let me get the phone lines uh, squared away here and uh, and get the phones set up so that we can return to uh, radio. And I just don't want to, if I, bla I don't want to, I got to talk for a second so I don't blast your ears out here just, just in case. Boom. Okay. 
All right, we got those. We got that locked in, and we are good to go. Uh, let me go over here and open this up, and we will take some of those phone calls here this morning as we uh, continue on. So folks can uh, get her get her done. And we are into the phone system. Look at that. Ah, got it. Okay, good. Phone lines are all set up. We are ready to go. We'll take some calls and see what you guys have to say this morning. Uh, phone number to call, as always, is uh, 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. Uh, we appreciate uh, you guys coming on board and joining us. This last segment will um, uh, will be good. Um, David says, I do give him points for coming onto the program and detailing exactly who he is. That's rare for a Democrat. I've never, ever, I'll never vote for him, of course. Well, but that's the thing. I mean, we've got to have a conversation. Whether or not we agree with somebody, we should never hide somebody's conversation because we don't agree with them. Again, the answer to speech you don't agree with is more speech. You know, we shouldn't be able to have it. I mean, I think Les and I could have had a whole hour's discussion on the PFD alone. Uh, details and points and everything else. That's that's just how it works. Um, but, you know, we we need to not disregard people just because we disagree with them. Let's go over here and uh, kick it off. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Here we go. All right. Uh, welcome back to the program. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. Final segment of the show this morning. We're ready to kick things off with you, the listeners. We're taking your calls. A couple comments that are in the chat rooms right now. Um, uh, David said, <clears throat> I do give him points for coming onto the program. I think he was talking about Las Guerra. And detailing exactly who he is. That's rare for a Democrat. I'll never vote for him, of course, but, you know. Well, that's, that's what it's all about. Uh, you know, uh, Joel says, I do respect them for showing up. And again, that's what this program is about, is the conversation. Look, I mean, that's what it's all about. Uh, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's about the conversation. And uh, whether you agree or not, that's not the important thing. The important thing is we get the diversity of ideas out there. And uh, you could still vote against people. That's, that's how it works. But at least have the conversation. All right. One final segment here, and let's take some phone calls. Let's start off over there and see what you guys have to say about stuff. Good morning. Who's this? Uh, where are you calling from? Hello, caller. Are you there? All right. I'm going to put them back on hold because I don't know. Maybe something's broken here. Let's go back over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? All right, it is my phone system, so uh, hold the line for just a second, all you phone call people. Uh, you just, uh, uh, all you phone call people, just hold the line for a second here. I'm going to fix, I'm going to fix what's broken here <laughs> in the, uh, in the uh, thing here. Hopefully that. Uh, Thanks for calling the call in line. There we go. There we go. I had to push one more button. That was my fault. That was not you. That was me. So I apologize. I've got three lines on hold. We're going to get to them here in just a second. As soon as the pre-recorded uh, 
Uh, deal stops talking here. We're going to get back into it with you guys and take those calls. It's always that one last button that I failed to push. Um, all right. So here we go. Uh, let's get into it. We'll take those calls and start again. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Good morning, John from Kodiak. Hello, John from Kodiak. What's on your mind? So on my drive-in this morning, I was listening to Andy on your show, and I was surprised that if he listened to your show at all, he wasn't able to clearly articulate a position on a PFD quickly. And what he did mention was kind of bogus. He talked about the Alaska Food Program. I went to the website. You got to click through about 20 pages to find out that you can get up to 10 food boxes per year. Each one should last three days. And then you're done. You know, most of the website refers you to the federal SNAP program, which again is means tested. He said the, the Alaska Food Bank program helps 100,000 people. Well, that's all means tested. So when he talks about people don't, you know, well-off people don't need the PFD and it should only go to the poor, they get plenty of help. Only 5% of Alaskans make more than $200,000 a year. So less than a full PFD really hurts the middle class, yeah. not the poor as much as, as you would like to think. Right. Well, no, I, I, I agree with that. And I think I think in part he would agree with that. Um, I don't know about the connection to the food bank issue, but, you know, I, I, and again, I think he's changed his position. I think that position is evolving. Like I said, he came into this thing thinking the PFD wasn't necessary. And I think he admitted that he has changed his tune on that. And I, I, I was encouraged by that. Now, I don't agree with a lot of the other philosophies and standpoints, but I'm encouraged that somebody could get the information, talk to their constituents and make a decision, change change their position on it sure one other thing uh, and even less garrett talked about this uh getting more money from big oil or reducing their tax breaks uh, i don't have a problem with either one of those things but what if it was an oil what if it was some grain or some other uh resource that the company if it wasn't big oil what if it was big ag in alaska right um I think we're vilifying them only because of the word oil, and I don't think we should be doing that. Um, and when you, Les talks about wanting that money for construction projects to make good-paying jobs, um, I don't want the government, whether it's the federal government or the Alaskan government, to be in a job of construction projects just to provide jobs. That's insane. Right. Well, it's not government's job to create jobs. That's not what government's supposed to do. They're supposed to get out of the way and let the private economy work in that regard. As far as it being oil, I mean, I don't know if it's oil is evil. It's just oil is a finite resource. We only have so much of it. We should be getting as much as we can for it because they ain't making no more. You know what I mean? And so I'm with you. I think that there's still an opportunity on the table for uh, for some changes to the oil tax structure. I just don't know if it's $1.2 billion worth, right? I mean, that's the big question to me. Right. So, all right, John. Well, hey, thanks for calling in from uh, Kodiak today. We appreciate you being part of it. Let's go over here to the next caller. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Randy in Fairbanks. Randy, what's <clears throat> up? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, with Les Gary, you're talking about retaining teachers. And uh, my thoughts on that is that First, we should get rid of collective bargaining in public schools, and then we should bring back corporal punishment as a one of the tools in the toolbox to maintain order in the classroom 
and also in the Anchorage Daily News on page B2 for uh, August 26th uh, this year, uh, saw an interesting article in Missouri. It says, school district revised paddling to discipline students, and this is in Cassville School District, which is near Branson, and um, it says here that um, uh, the school board had adopted policy in June allowing use of physical force as a method of correcting student behavior. Parents were handed forms to specify whether, new, whether they authorized the school to use a paddle on their child, the Springfield News leader reported. And this article is in the ADN, the Anchorage Daily News. Um, and it also says here um, uh, in Cassville, staff members will employ reasonable physical force <clears throat> without a chance of bodily harm. And um, um, uh, it, um, in, anyway, <clears throat> and then one other thing it says here is uh, 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 parents, Johnson said, Johnson being the superintendent, he said, parents, Johnson said, had thanked the district for approving the practice that has mostly been in, in decline across the country. Johnson said the disciplinary action will be used only as a last resort when punishments uh, like suspensions or detentions aren't working. He also says it will be always with a witness and they have to send a report to the superintendent, you know, why they did it and everything. So I think that's a good idea. And my, my pet theory is I bet you the NEA probably against corporal punishment in schools because, this is kind of a cynical theory of mine, but it's because it makes the uh, teaching more unpleasant and therefore the teachers have to demand more money to be able to stay in that profession <laughs> with a bunch of screaming kids and everything. Well, that, that's why they do it. So it makes more money. So they can make more money in the long run. Well, uh, maybe, Randy, maybe. I, But I, I don't know. I think that there's just kids are going to be kids. I think that's their philosophy. Um, thank you, Randy, for your call. I'm sorry I'm up against the break. I got to go. Tomorrow, Brad Keithley, Chris Story. On Wednesday, we've got uh, Arthur Surkoff. And an undeclared guest. And then on Friday, Kathleen Hensley is going to be joining us. Uh, we'll continue. Thanks for coming on board. We appreciate it. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Please be kind, love one another, and live well. We will see you tomorrow, folks. All right. <clears throat> well. We got go. We got we got go. We got go. Thank you for coming on board, folks. Enjoy today. Breathe deep. It's going to be a good Monday. It's going to be a good day for you. I can tell right now. It's going to be a good day for you. We will see you guys tomorrow. Thanks for coming in. Don't forget to check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Michael Duke Show. Yep. That's how you become a member of the Cool Kids Club right there, folks. That's how you do it. Go out there and join us right now. All right. We will see you tomorrow. Have a great day. We'll see you then.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.